0: Hello, my name is Matthew Peters from La in way up north Alberta. I'm a logger and I really love listening to COMPELLED because as I'm deep in my thoughts, I'm always so encouraged when I hear God's powerful working in different people's lives. I remember Garrett's story of how God transformed his life. It's just so encouraging for me to hear how supernatural our God is and how unpredictable His grace can be. I just love it so much. And as for you, enjoy today's episode.
1: And here I have this 14 year old in my car trying to not let me see that he was crying. And I said, Well, sweetie, I don't know what story God's writing, but we're stuck with each other. So you're not going anywhere.
0: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a seasonal podcast using gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming Christians around the world. Last week, our guest was Stu Fullendorf, a staunch atheist and alcoholic with a tremendous success record in the marketplace. But during a booze-filled trip around the world, he couldn't shake the idea, what if God actually was real? Again, you can hear that story by tuning into last week's episode with Stu Fullendorf. Today, our guest is Lauren Smith. Early on, Lauren and her husband felt called to adoption and foster care but had no idea how many children God would place in their home. And I guarantee you, their journey is unlike any other that you've heard. So gather around, lean in, and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. I met Lauren at her office just a few minutes away from downtown Tampa. Her office space was very busy that day, and occasionally you might even hear voices from another room. Lauren is engaged in important work, mainly connecting Christian families with children in need of adoption or foster care, and how she got involved in that career path is a very interesting story. Lauren grew up in a Christian home and from a young age began following Jesus, and her story begins about 40 years ago when she was just 19.
1: After I completed my degree in theology at Bible school, I then enrolled at the State University of New York to get my degree in social work. And I needed to do an internship there, did it at a children's home, and then did my second internship at the Department of Social Services. And probably three or four weeks into my internship, the supervisor said to me, Have you ever thought about adopting? And I said, Always. I've always wanted to adopt my first and my last. And she said, well, fill out the packet because there's a seven-year waiting list in New York for a young child. And obedient that I was, I filled it out, never realizing that they had a child in mind that they knew they couldn't place and that I would probably be too young and naive and inexperienced to ask the right questions, which I was. He had been born in a mental institution. His mother was shackled, had him at some point during the night. They found him in her bed in the morning, still attached to the umbilical cord. And they thought he'd be profoundly brain damaged, rushed him to the hospital. And that was the child they had in mind. And two weeks later, I became a mom for the first time at 19, and adopted him thereafter. Their parting words were, "Put clothes on him and feed him. That's all you'll ever do for him."
0: And 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 you did it right. And so it's so like, when did you clue in? Like this kid was not, uh, you know, your son was not brain damaged.
1: Pretty quickly, but I think we also always have had an understanding that God's the author of our stories, and no matter what it looks like, He's writing the story. So I think I've never fought the story. Yeah. So we've just accepted. I learned very, very early in my experience that my job is to be faithful. God's job is the outcomes. And if I focus on being faithful and leaving God's job up to him, he does what he will with my children.
0: By this point, she was married to a fellow student from Bible college and shortly afterward gave birth to another son, Lauren's first biological child. Unfortunately, her husband left them, and Lauren was left to fend for herself and the two boys as a single mom. It was certainly a difficult time, but she knew that God would continue to care for her and the boys, and she remained firm in her faith. She moved to Florida to be closer to her family and eventually got a job working at a drug and alcohol treatment facility. She became good friends with one of her co-workers, Thad, and a year later, they were married. They've now been married close to 40 years.
1: When we met... He adamantly wanted two children, and I had two. And I had always wanted six. And I said, "Okay, Lord, if I have to lay that down too, I'll I'll do that. And I came to him one day and I said, how about if we foster? Because then I get my baby need met. I get to be a mom, but not permanently. What would you think? And he said, I think that's a great idea. And the journey was on, and we began fostering. And at that point, you weren't allowed to adopt foster children. And so we began fostering, and he became smitten. And we talked, and I just said, I really would like to have a biological child for you to experience, because it's different. And I know you love my boys. He actually adopted my boys, because at that time, due to some of the choices, their father was deceased. Oh, wow. I I said, I know you love them, you've adopted them, they're yours, but there's just, it's a different experience. And if we can, I'd love you to experience that. So he said, okay. And we then had Micah, our third child, another boy. So we had Christopher, Isaac, and Micah. And somehow I said, how about if we agree at four? I wanted six, you wanted two. How about if we do four? And he said, okay, one more. And we had Amy. And during that time, we continued to foster. Because we had both been therapists, they gave us very complex kids. Children with severe mental health issues, with severe anger issues, who had been born profoundly drug addicted. Yeah, just challenging. Yet, we loved them. And our goal was to provide them a picture of what, family and Jesus could be for their lives, for whatever time we had them.
0: A couple of years later, they had one more son, bringing their total number of children to five. Lauren's husband was now a pastor, and his first congregation was actually a street church. Of course, this exposed them to all kinds of people, including immigrants, the homeless, drug addicts, and those with severe mental handicaps. But this just deepened their love for people and for children. Regardless of circumstances, ethnicity, or social demographics, all people are created in the image of God and are worthy of love. In the meantime, Lauren opened a private counseling practice through the church.
1: I was seeing a client one day, and the door kind of opened a little bit, and a baby was through with arms. And all I could see was the baby. And I'm thinking, really? I'm in the middle of a session. And I walked out, and they said... Please, 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 please just take him. We can't find anyone that'll take him. They said, it'll just be a few days till we can find him an adoptive home. Well, what they didn't tell me was he had the highest levels of cocaine and alcohol they'd ever registered in a newborn. He wouldn't eat. He stopped breathing on a regular basis. They said, if he survives, he'll be profoundly impaired but they know that I know that babies sense rejection and I couldn't do it. And so I took him. He screamed for three and a half years due to the severe withdrawals and just some of the neurological um, damage that had been done. And by the time he was five, he had diagnosis after diagnosis after diagnosis. And we told him, God's writing your story, buddy. Yeah, so we were at six and we were done. And then, whoops, I got pregnant. I was having a hysterectomy due to some physical challenges. Went in for my pre-op work and they said, yeah, you're not having surgery, you're having a baby. And I said, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. And Samuel was born. And then we were really done. And then when Samuel was two months old, We got a call that said, oh, we have a little girl. Please, 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 can you take her? Um, Her birth mother's a paranoid schizophrenic. No one will adopt her because they're afraid she'll be a paranoid schizophrenic. Please, will you take her? Talked to my husband. He said, tell you what, we'll meet her. And we'd never done that because we wanted the Lord to confirm if they were our child or not without. But he said, I feel really strongly we're supposed to meet her she was six months old and so we went to meet the foster mom at a doctor's office and we walked in and she held out her arms and said mama wow and my husband said okay number eight and so we added eight and she had had a stroke in utero due to her mom's cocaine Mm. use and so She was partially paralyzed and we jumped into getting her the therapy she needed while having babies three months apart and parenting both subsequently and then 16 months later i was on a football field watching one of my sons play high school ball and i got a call and the caller said hi this is such and such hospital in arcadia which is several hours away, and we need you to come to the nursery tonight to pick up your baby. And I said, oh, you have the wrong number. And I hung up. And they called right back, and they said, wait, are you Lauren Smith? And I said, yes. And they said, you didn't know you'd been given custody of a baby? I said, no. Who might the mother be? Well, the six-month-old's mother had had another baby, knew the baby would be removed, and so told them, this is who I want you to call. She has my other baby. We jumped in our car and we had friends from our church meet us along the journey with car seats because we were done after number eight. We got rid of everything we were done. But now we'd started to notice a pattern that when we said we were done, God laughed and would add two at a time. And we picked Sarah up at the hospital and she had profound early trauma, had a lot of physical issues. She was very tiny. She was four pounds, six ounces when we brought her home and we thought ah okay we're we're okay we're at nine maybe god's gonna change his mind
0: and and how old were all your kids at this point
1: so they were from the ages of 11 and down
0: 11 years old down to zero you, you had nine nine kids ages 11 to zero correct that that's 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 intense it was fun. Yeah. It was yeah. fun
1: in those days. Littles, at least you can pick up. and
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I homeschooled at the time, so we just were home and had fun. And it worked with getting the ones who had medical issues to their appointments and therapies, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. And so it just worked.
0: Now, if you can tell from the tone of my voice in the interview— I'm a little shocked because I have three kids ages five, three, and one, and they keep my wife and me busy. So I can barely fathom what it would be like to have nine kids, 11 and down, many with special needs. But each of these children had been placed on Lauren and Thad's hearts, and they were trusting that God knew they were the right parents for these kids, and he would equip them as necessary. But now, they could move on to the next chapter of life, because the Lord was done giving them kids. Or was he? More on that, after the break. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer, because it was such a spiritually engaging experience, and today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18, and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to COMPELLED. But imagine if you could enjoy COMPELLED stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aca tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M. compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Welcome back to Compelled. We've been listening to Lauren Smith share how she and her husband ended up with nine children, many of whom were adopted. And while they loved giving each of these children a permanent home, they were also ready to enter a new season of life that was less hectic than before. Because after all, they already had nine kids and God surely wouldn't ask them to take more. But it turns out he was just getting started.
1: So we were done we thought at nine and then my husband the one who adamantly wanted two children came out one night and he said what would you think about adopting through China and I said can I pray about it and he goes of course so we got together the next day and I said you know what I I said here's my issue we have nine kids and we would spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to go across the world to adopt through China when there are black boys in the foster care system that no one wants simply because they're black. What would you think about adopting a black little boy? And he said, okay, my turn to pray about it. And he came back out just several hours later and he said, I think you're right. And no kidding, as we were sitting in our living room, the phone rang and it was a local group home. And they said, we have a five-year-old little boy here that is way too young to be in a group home. He's being victimized and he needs an adoptive home. Can you please take him? And I said, is he black? And they said, yes. And I said, I'm on my way. And number 10 joined. Jamie came to join us and We were at 10, and it was even, and we knew God was done with us. And we continued to foster during this time, so we usually had 14 to 16 kids at home. And we started fostering zero- to five-year-olds, but by this time, we transitioned to teenagers, and we were fostering teenagers. And I've decided that babies and teenagers are really the same. Teenagers are just a little taller. Yeah. So we were at 10, and... Yeah, I was pretty done. And we got a foster child who was 14. He was in an adoptive placement with his three younger siblings and the family had sent them back. And my neighbor had had the three babies and I don't know how, somehow, at this point I worked in the child welfare system. I was the director of foster care and adoption in one of the centers. And somehow I was in that court hearing And the guardian ad litem, who represents the voice of the child, said to me, can you please, please just take him for the weekend? He's going to go to his grandma, but the woman who, your neighbor who had the three littles, can't take a teenager, and you're right next door, and that way he can see his brothers and sisters, and we early had made a decision that we don't do anything without the whole family weighing in because it affects everyone. So I said, let me step out, called everyone, everyone was in. And so he joined our family for the weekend. And on Monday, I went to court with him. And the grandmother stood up in the middle of court and she turned around. She said, I changed my mind. I don't want you and walked out of the courtroom. And here I have this 14-year-old in my car trying to not let me see that he was crying. And he said, please don't make me move. I've been in 14 middle schools. Please don't make me move. And I said, well, sweetie, I don't know what story God's writing, but clearly we're stuck with each other. So you're not going anywhere. And he didn't, he's now in his 30s. And then shortly after that, I got a call from a 15-year-old that I had known in the system for years. She said, "Miss Lauren, I have a really weird question for you. I said, "Okay, shoot. She said, all I want is a family. By the time I start high school, and I start high school in August, and it's June, and I don't have a family, will you adopt me? And I said, that's an interesting question. Let me go home and talk to my husband and all the kids, and I'll call you back tomorrow. I said to my husband, how do we say the courage it took to ask, how do I tell her no and let her deal with that level of rejection? There were a lot of times when we said no. It was always an issue that we took to prayer and we knew in our hearts if it was a yes or a no. And so we have said no way more than we've said yes. Yeah. Not only... Did my husband and I come to the same conclusion separately? But we allowed all the other children to have an anonymous vote every time. Because when you have that many children, it affects everyone when you add. So everyone got an anonymous vote. And if anyone said no, we didn't move forward. Initially, our biological daughter said no. I I don't want it. And we, we honored that. And she came to us sobbing about three days later, and she said, I was being really selfish. I can't believe that just because I have to share a room that I wouldn't allow her to have a family, and God really convicted me, so it's a yes now. And then we move forward. And so she moved in, and that was 12. And then a few months later, she was one of 10, and one of her siblings was removed from her sixth adoptive home. They didn't want her anymore. They dropped her off at a group home and refused to pick her up. And we had been doing visits, and I knew her as well. And my husband, the one who adamantly wanted to, said, we can't leave her as the only sibling without a family. And so we went and picked her up. (laughs) And we had 13, and she was 16. Now, let me say, all my teenagers had been adopted multiple times before we had them and sent back. And so there was a lot of pain. And we know that a lot of times pain is shown in behaviors. So they were particularly challenging, the girls probably more so than the boys. Rages, destruction, foul mouths, inappropriate sexual behavior, refusal to follow any family standards. But they knew you know, it's interesting because no one ever fought attending church on a regular basis in youth. And I had them um at that time I had put them in school because there were too many <laughs> and they heard the gospel on a regular basis. If we have been able to model anything to our kids, it has been the unconditional love of Christ. And in spite of their choices, We love them. We let them know when we don't agree,
0: Mm. but we love them. By this point, their 13 kids varied in age between three to 21. And that's in addition to the foster children they continued to host during this time. Their home was a constant hub of activity. But then in 2007, over the course of just a few months, Lauren's husband, Thad, fell suddenly ill.
1: We had some very difficult teenagers. And my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh, wow. And they told him, you have six weeks to live.
0: Oh, wow. Get your
1: affairs in order. And I thought, I have eight teenagers. I, I said, we can't keep fostering because he literally was bedridden. He went down from a typical 190-pound man to about 130 pounds, was bedridden. I had eight very... Not all eight children were, but four of the eight were extremely challenging.
0: And so, he's about to die. Correct.
1: And so we thought, let's just close our foster home. We'll focus on what we have. And I got to figure out how to do this as a single mom. But in the middle of all that, my kids came home from school. They went to a small independent Baptist Christian school. They said, there's a young men in our class and he's scholarship to go there and he's homeless he's riding his bike 12 miles a day to come back and forth and he's living in the woods and he needs a family we need to adopt him and i said guys your dad's dying i'm one person i can only do so much i just don't think this is the time and they all stood up in unison all my teenagers and said you have raised us that things aren't important people are and if we need to all get jobs so that we can all eat, then we'll do that, but he needs a family." And so I went up to my husband's bedside and I told him what they had done and he said, I had another one.'" <laughs> and so a week before his 18th birthday, Paul moved in with our family and we were now at 14. But I think God got tired of me because I kept saying, "Lord." I know that you'll be a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow, but seriously, if you counted, do you know what you're getting yourself into? And I didn't stop. And I didn't stop. And they had scheduled what's called a Whipple procedure for my husband, which is palliative, just would have helped with some of the pain. And they were going to remove the tumor. And he was in surgery, and the very arrogant doctor came out. And his face was white, and I thought he was going to tell me my husband had died on the operating table. And we sat down, and he said, the tumor's not there. I know, I saw it on the PET scans. And MRIs, it was there. It's, I can't find a tumor. And I said, well, while you're in there, will you take his gallbladder out? because we felt like his gallbladder was connected the whole time. He said, that won't do any good. And he said, well, I've done research and it will at least be palliative. It will take away some of the pain. And he said, okay, whatever. And he took it out and he sewed him up and he recovered from surgery and he began to get better. His pancreas had been damaged, so he had to take medication to digest his food. But within a year, he was fine given a clear bill of health they had no explanation i said it's because god is tired of this little jewish girl and her irreverent relationship wow. <laughs> with him so now i'm getting smart at this time because i'm seeing it come in twos and so i decided to do reverse psychology on god because and so i said okay god i'll take as many as you want but i can't do babies i'll take as many mean nasty teenagers as you want but I can't do babies. And our daughter, we adopted at 16, told us she was pregnant. And we talked to her about making an adoption plan. And because she had been adopted six times and given back before us, she just couldn't do it. So we said, OK, we're, we'll work with you to become a good mom. But you got to work with us. And so she brought the baby home from the hospital. and. We helped her learn how to parent, but at a year, she said, it's too much, and she took off. And she had just turned 18, and she took off but left the baby behind. Oh, wow. And so we had the baby, and shortly thereafter, she called and said, will you adopt her? I don't want her to go through what my life was like. Will you please adopt her? And I was like, really, Lord, that was slick. (laughs) That was slick, because now here I am with number 15, and we weren't so foolish at that point to think that there wouldn't be a 16.
0: And Lauren was right, because God still wasn't done, which you'll hear about right after the break. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a Compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they wanna do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to The World and Everything in It. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Welcome back to Compelled. We just heard Lauren share how she and her husband ended up as the parents of 15 children. Well, five years passed, and all of their children were now grown and out of the home, except for the last, their granddaughter, who was now their daughter, who was now five years old. In comparison to the last two decades, this was finally the season of rest that Lauren and Thad had been looking forward to. They were approaching their retirement years and had a huge six-bedroom house that was now more or less empty, And they knew about a great mission in Uganda that needed help. So they made a choice. Sell the house, enjoy some years raising their five-year-old, and then move to Uganda to retire. But before their house could sell, they received a surprising phone call from the foster care system. There was a group of nine siblings, five older and four younger, and they needed a home. Would the Smiths take them? And I said, no, we're done.
1: And they called back the next day. And I said, no, we're, we're done. We're old. We're tired. And they called back again. And then I made the fatal mistake of saying, we'll pray about it. So my husband came out in the morning and goes, did you hear what I heard? And I said, probably. He said, you go first. So God said, we're supposed to be open. And he goes, we're going to be parents again. <laughs> and they ranged in age newborn to 14. So we met with all of our grown kids and we were just talking and I said, I don't know how one family can meet the needs of that many kids because the older kids have had a lot more trauma and they're going to need a lot of special care. But when you have babies and I said, we're getting old. And my son and daughter-in-law said, okay, we'll take the babies. You take the big kids. Oh, wow. And so that's what we did. And I'll tell you, we're now at 20 And it has been the hardest leg of our journey so far. Three of our children have extreme mental health issues. They're violent, they're sexualized, they don't wanna be parented, and it has been really challenging. But I wanna tell you, my sin of choice is self-sufficiency. It has removed that (laughs) from my life because I can't be self-sufficient because life is so challenging. Um, There is never what we would consider a normal day. We can't just go places because they can't maintain even in public. They'll flip a table over in the middle of a restaurant as easily as they will in my house. We've had $100,000 damage done to our house at a time when we're supposed to be retiring. And I've been like, seriously, Lord? Seriously. When we were old and tired, you thought this was the time. But I've learned more about the character of God Mm -hmm through the harder places of life than anything that could have taught me about him and his long-suffering and his just unconditional love and his consistent wooing regardless of our rejection and his presence, all of those things. I'm being asked to model to my children that some days I don't want to. I've come to understand that it's, His story, if you ever would have told me I'd have 20 children, I would have said you were crazy. We thought maybe God was not only going to add, but he was going to multiply. But now we're so far past our agreed upon four that we have no words. And people say, are you done? And my answer is, I hope so. But I can't tell you because God's writing the story, and I wish, I wish God would speak to me in Post-it notes because I'm a good rule follower, but I'm old enough now that I've learned to go along for the ride.
0: It's been a long journey with 20 extra mouths, and it's still going on. With all of our experiences parenting, fostering, adopting, and helping others through that process, Lauren has some really helpful insights that she shares in our full behind-the-scenes recording available to our monthly patron supporters. In fact, it includes almost an hour of extra content. But one question that Lauren answered really stuck out. What kind of impact did adopting and fostering have on her existing children and on herself?
1: And I will tell you what I have determined. We adopted, had birth children, fostered, had birth children, adopted. So it's kind of mixed up. We didn't just have biological children and then start the journey. But I will say this about all my older Children, both adopted and biological, they are passionate lovers of people. And there was some trauma that they too experienced. We took in hard kids, but in their life professions and in their interactions with people, they're just amazing. And, you know, one of our girls this year lost custody of her three children. She's very young, but due to some very poor lifestyle choices, and my son and daughter-in-law, who adopted the four, now have her three, two. So mm. they have seven, eight and under. And it never occurred to them not to do that. They knew we couldn't because of safety reasons. And they said, we got it. And that's how our kids are. There's always someone when we have girls that are struggling and they need help or to pick up the pieces, the older kids. They're great big brothers, big mm. sisters, and they're always there to walk the journey with them. So have my children experienced things that I wish they hadn't, trauma-wise, some of my biological children, or early adopted children? Yeah, they have. But again, God's sovereign, mm. and He knew it was part of their story, and He would use it to make them the people He needed them to be. And they're compassionate, loving, and engaged. So I think the biggest thing that I've seen and gotten change in my life, as I told you, I was, I was the perfect child. I did everything right. And um, unfortunately, I slid by and there were heart issues that never really got addressed because I was externally so compliant. But I realized that I looked to people or my performance to validate who I was. And so I've been placed in this lifelong journey of working with Children who can't possibly validate anything about me because I've interfered with them being with their biological family, not realistically, but in their minds. And so, moms are always the target in adoption. And so, I couldn't rely on that. And I've been placed in hard situations. And all of a sudden, I'm, I have no control. Mm. And what do you do when you have no control? You ask the one who has all control to intervene and to change from the inside out.
0: As our conversation came to a close, Lauren had one last comment she wanted to share about legacy.
1: At the new year, I don't pray for a new year's resolution. I pray for a word. And the Lord's given me three words for the last five years and it's passed the baton Mm. and so i want to look at legacy and we have three children that have now adopted a child who's fostered children who are engaged in serving in amazing ways in their homes and their churches my we have 12 boys and eight girls my 12 boys are amazing human beings and successful in their careers Their marriages, their parenting. My girls are amazing human beings. They are great moms. And we're working on the married part. (laughs) Yeah. And, but I'm not going to say it's an easy journey. And if God had told me how hard it would be, I'd probably been like Jonah and hopped into the belly of a whale. Yeah. But I can't because in it, I've learned who he is. And in it, I've come to understand that serving is really not serving if there's not sacrifice involved. Mm. And we have determined that we are willing to sacrifice the temporal for the eternal. And I often think about, because we ended up fostering about 120 children in addition to our 20 permanent children, and I think I – Long for the day when I go to heaven and I see the lives that God has allowed us to touch. Yeah. And they're there. But I can say that I know this God writes the stories. I'm just a character in the story he's writing. And so it behooves me to figure out what my character line is, yeah. my storyline is, yeah. and do that well because I live for the day that I'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant.
0: I loved hearing Lauren's story. Every moment when she and her husband thought that they were done adding children to their family and that God would ask them to trust him yet again. And they're still doing that, even today. And did you notice how Lauren just casually mentioned at the very end that they also fostered 120 children in addition to their own 20 kids? mind-blowing. Now the whole point of this episode is not that we're celebrating how amazing Lauren and her husband are. They're just regular people like you and me. But they have been faithful to go where God has called them and to trust Him even when it looked impossible. And maybe God hasn't given you the same heart for children, but I guarantee you that He has given you a calling. It may not be adoption or foster care, but it is a calling to serve his kingdom, even if it costs you something, because no one who is a part of the kingdom of God is expected to sit on the sidelines as a passive observer. I think about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and of the faithless servant who simply buried his one talent in the ground. He was passive and unwilling to be a steward of the talent that Master had given him. And when the master returns, he tells the master, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And unfortunately, Jesus calls that man a worthless servant who was cast out into the outer darkness. I pray that none of us would be afraid to wholeheartedly pursue the calling that God has given us, even if it requires sacrifice. You can learn more about Lauren and her ongoing adoption ministry in our show notes, and also we're gonna include a family photo. Trust me, it's worth pulling up the show notes just to see their entire beautiful, enormous family. Just visit compelledpodcast.com and search for this episode. Also, if you wanna hear the entire conversation I had with Lauren, which was close to an hour and a half, you can join Compelled as a monthly Patreon supporter and get exclusive access to all of our behind the scenes recordings and you'll be helping us create more stories just like this one. Get started at compelledpodcast.com and click donate. Take five seconds and ask yourself, do I know someone who would be encouraged by Lauren's story? If so, send it on. Finally, if you're looking for a podcast app on your cell phone, then I recommend our sponsor CastBox. Their app is easy to use and lets you download episodes ahead of time to listen to when you're offline. And it's free. Learn more at castbox.fm. This episode was edited by Will Jackson, our sound engineer is Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is Sarah Hastings. Special thanks to compelled listeners Brent and Elizabeth Petzold for putting us in touch with Lauren. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from next week's story with Gracia Burnham. It's an exclusive, full-length, behind-the-scenes recording normally available only to our Patreon supporters, but we're making this one available to everyone. Gracia and her husband were missionaries to the Philippines when they were kidnapped at gunpoint by Muslim terrorists and held hostage in the jungles for ransom. They endured every hardship you could possibly imagine, including gun battles, beheadings, and starvation. Yet Gracia was confronted with one continual question, was Jesus asking her to forgive these men? I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday.
1: They got on the phone right away and made a bunch of demands. Philippine military, of course, surrounded the place. And uh, there was shooting, shooting, shooting. And these A-10s came in bombing the place.
0: I thought we would die there. I was pretty sure we We were just going to die. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th,